Introduction and Chapter 1 of The Wealth of Nations, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Escalera. The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Book 2 of the nature accumulation and employment of stock introduction and chapter one of the division of stock introduction in that rude state of society in which there is no division of labor in which exchanges are seldom made and in which every man provides everything for himself it is not necessary that any stock should be accumulated or stored up beforehand in order to carry on the business of the society every man endeavors to supply by his own industry his own occasional wants as they occur when he is hungry he goes to the forest to hunt when his coat is worn out he clothes himself with the skin of the first large animal he kills and when his hut begins to go to ruin he repairs it as well as he can with the trees and the turf that are nearest it but when the division of labor has once been thoroughly introduced, the produce of a man's own labor can supply but a very small part of his occasional wants. The far greater part of them are supplied by the produce of other men's labor, which he purchases with the produce, or, what is the same thing, with the price of the produce of his own. But this purchase cannot be made till such time as the produce of his own labor has not only been completed, but sold, a stock of goods of different kinds therefore must be stored up somewhere sufficient to maintain him and to supply him with the materials and tools of his work till such time at least as both these events can be brought about a weaver cannot apply himself entirely to his own peculiar business unless there is beforehand stored up somewhere either in his own possession or in that of some other person a stock sufficient to maintain him and to supply him with the materials and tools of his work till he has not only completed but sold his web this accumulation must evidently be previous to his applying his industry for so long a time to such a peculiar business as the accumulation of stock must in the nature of things be previous to the division of labor so labor can be more and more subdivided in proportion only as stock is previously more and more accumulated the quantity of materials which the same number of people can work up increases in a great proportion as labor comes to be more and more subdivided and as the operations of each workman are gradually reduced to a greater degree of simplicity a variety of new machines come to be invented for facilitating and abridging those operations as the division of labor advances therefore in order to give constant employment to an equal number of workmen an equal stock of provisions and a greater stock of materials and tools than what would have been necessary in a ruder state of things must be accumulated beforehand but the number of workmen in every branch of business generally increases with the division of labor in that branch or rather it is the increase of their number which enables them to class and subdivide themselves in this manner as the accumulation of stock is previously necessary for carrying on this great improvement in the productive powers of labor so that accumulation naturally leads to this improvement the person who employs his stock in maintaining labor necessarily wishes to employ it in such a manner as to produce as great a quantity of work as possible he endeavors therefore both to make among his workmen the most proper distribution of employment and to furnish them with the best machines which he can either invent or afford to purchase his abilities in both these respects are generally in proportion to the extent of his stock or to the number of people whom it can employ 
the quantity of industry therefore not only increases in every country with the increase of the stock which employs it but in consequence of that increase the same quantity of industry produces a much greater quantity of work such are in general the effects of the increase of stock upon industry and its productive powers in the following book i have endeavored to explain the nature of stock the effects of its accumulation into capital of different kinds and the effects of the different employments of those capitals this book is divided into five chapters in the first chapter i have endeavored to show what are the different parts or branches into which the stock either of an individual or of a great society naturally divides itself in the second i have endeavored to explain the nature and operation of money considered as a particular branch of the general stock of the society the stock which is accumulated into a capital may either be employed by the person to whom it belongs or it may be lent to some other person in the third and fourth chapters i have endeavored to examine the manner in which it operates in both these situations the fifth and last chapter treats of the different effects which the different employments of capital immediately produce upon the quantity both of national industry and of the annual produce of land and labor chapter one of the division of stock when the stock which a man possesses is no more than sufficient to maintain him for a few days or a few weeks he seldom thinks of deriving any revenue from it he consumes it as sparingly as he can and endeavors by his labor to acquire something which may supply its place before it be consumed altogether his revenue is in this case derived from his labor only this is the state of the greater part of the laboring poor in all countries but when he possesses stock sufficient to maintain him for months or years he naturally endeavors to derive a revenue from the greater part of it reserving only so much for his immediate consumption as may maintain him till his revenue begins to come in his whole stock therefore is distinguished into two parts that part which he expects is to afford him this revenue is called chapter one of the division of stock when the stock which a man possesses is no more than sufficient to maintain him for a few days or a few weeks he seldom thinks of deriving any revenue from it he consumes it as sparingly as he can and endeavors by his labor to acquire something which may supply its place before it be consumed altogether his revenue is in this case derived from his labor only this is the state of the greater part of the laboring poor in all countries but when he possesses stock sufficient to maintain him for months or years he naturally endeavors to derive a revenue from the greater part of it reserving only so much for his immediate consumption as may maintain him till his revenue begins to come in his whole stock therefore is distinguished into two parts that part which he expects is to afford him this revenue is called his capital the other is that which supplies his immediate consumption and which consists either first in that portion of his whole stock which was originally reserved for this purpose or secondly in his revenue from whatever source derived as it gradually comes in or thirdly in such things as had been purchased by either of these in former years and which are not yet entirely consumed such as a stock of clothes household furniture and the like in one or other or all of these three articles consists the stock which men commonly reserve for their own immediate consumption there are two different ways in which a capital may be employed so as to yield a revenue or profit to its employer first it may be employed in raising manufacturing or purchasing goods and selling them again with a profit the capital employed in this manner yields no revenue or profit to its employer while it either remains in his possession or continues in the same shape 
the goods of the merchant yield him no revenue or profit till he sells them for money and the money yields him as little till it is again exchanged for goods his capital is continually going from him in one shape and returning to him in another and it is only by means of such circulation or successive changes that it can yield him any profit such capitals therefore may be very properly be called circulating capitals secondly it may be employed in the improvement of land in the purchase of useful machines and instruments of trade or in such like things as yield a revenue or profit without changing masters or circulating any further such capitals therefore may very properly be called fixed capitals different occupations require very different proportions between the fixed and circulating capitals employed in them the capital of a merchant for example is altogether a circulating capital he has occasion for no machines or instruments of trade unless his shop or warehouse be considered as such some part of the capital of every master artificer or manufacturer must be fixed in the instruments of his trade this part however is very small in some and very great in others a master tailor requires no other instruments of trade but a parcel of needles those of the master shoemaker are a little though but a very little more expensive those of the weaver rise a good deal above those of the shoemaker the far greater part of the capital of all such master artificers however is circulated either in the wages of their workmen or in the price of their materials and repaid with a profit by the price of the work in other works a much greater fixed capital is required in a great iron work for example the furnace for melting the ore the forge the slit mill are instruments of trade which cannot be erected without a very great expense in coal works and mines of every kind the machinery necessary both for drawing out the water and for other purposes is frequently still more expensive that part of the capital of the farmer which is employed in the instruments of agriculture is a fixed that which is employed in the wages and maintenance of his laboring servants is a circulating capital he makes a profit of the one by keeping it in his own possession and of the other by parting with it the price or value of his laboring cattle is a fixed capital in the same manner as that of the instruments of husbandry their maintenance is a circulating capital in the same manner as that of the laboring servants the farmer makes his profit by keeping the laboring cattle and by parting with their maintenance both the price and the maintenance of the cattle which are brought in and fattened not for labor but for sale are a circulating capital the farmer makes his profit by parting with them a flock of sheep or a herd of cattle that in a breeding country is brought in neither for labor nor for sale but in order to make a profit by their wool by their milk and by their increase is a fixed capital the profit is made by keeping them their maintenance is a circulating capital the profit is made by parting with it and it comes back with both its own profit and the profit upon the whole price of the cattle and the price of the wool the milk and the increase the whole value of the seed too is properly a fixed capital though it goes backwards and forwards between the ground and the granary it never changes masters and therefore does not properly circulate the farmer makes his profit not by its sale but by its increase the general stock of any country or society is the same with that of all its inhabitants or members and therefore naturally divides itself into the same three portions each of which has a distinct function or office the first is that portion which is reserved for immediate consumption and of which the characteristic is that it affords no revenue or profit it consists in the stock of food 
clothes, household furniture, etc., which have been purchased by their proper consumers, but which are not yet entirely consumed. The whole stock of mere dwelling-houses, too, subsisting at any one time in the country, make a part of this first portion. The stock that is laid out in a house, if it is to be the dwelling-house of the proprietor, ceases from that moment to serve in the function of a capital, or to afford any revenue to its owner. A dwelling-house, as such, contributes nothing to the revenue of its inhabitant, and though it is, no doubt, extremely useful to him, it is as his clothes and household furniture are useful to him, which, however, make a part of his expense, and not of his revenue. If it is to be let to a tenant for rent, as the house itself can produce nothing, the tenant must always pay the rent out of some other revenue, which he derives either from labor, or stock, or land. Though a house, therefore, may yield a revenue to its proprietor, and thereby serve in the function of a capital to him, it cannot yield any to the public, nor serve in the function of a capital to it, and the revenue of the whole body of the people can never be in the smallest degree increased by it. Clothes and household furniture, in the same manner, sometimes yield a revenue, and thereby serve in the function of a capital to particular persons. In countries where masquerades are common, it is a trade to let out masquerade dresses for a night upholsterers frequently let furniture by the month or by the year undertakers let the furniture of funerals by the day and by the week many people let furnished houses and get a rent not only for the use of the house but for that of the furniture the revenue however which is derived from such things must always be ultimately drawn from some other source of revenue of all parts of the stock either of an individual or of a society reserved for immediate consumption what is laid out in houses is mostly slowly consumed a stock of clothes may last several years a stock of furniture half a century or a century but a stock of houses well built and properly taken care of may last many centuries though the period of their total consumption however is more distant they are still as really a stock reserved for immediate consumption as either clothes or household furniture the second of the three portions into which the general stock of the society divides itself is the fixed capital of which the characteristic is that it affords a revenue or profit without circulating or changing masters it consists chiefly of the four following articles first of all useful machines and instruments of trade which facilitate and abridge labor secondly of all those profitable buildings which are the means of procuring a revenue not only to the proprietor who lets them for a rent but to the person who possesses them and pays that rent for them such as shops warehouses workhouses farmhouses with all their necessary buildings stables granaries etc these are very different from mere dwelling-houses they are a sort of instruments of trade and may be considered in the same light thirdly of the improvements of land of what has been profitably laid out in clearing draining enclosing manuring and reducing it into the condition most proper for tillage and culture an improved farm may very justly be regarded in the same light as those useful machines which facilitate and abridge labor and by means of which an equal circulating capital can afford a much greater revenue to its employer an improved farm is equally advantageous and more durable than any of those machines frequently requiring no other repairs than the most profitable application of the farmer's capital employed in cultivating it fourthly of the acquired and useful abilities of all the inhabitants and members of the society the acquisition of such talents by the maintenance of the acquirer during his education study or apprenticeship always costs a real expense which is a capital fixed and realized as it were in his person 
Those talents, as they make a part of his fortune, so do they likewise that of the society to which he belongs. The improved dexterity of a workman may be considered in the same light as a machine or instrument of trade which facilitates and abridges labor, and which, though it costs a certain expense, repays that expense with a profit. The third and last of the three portions into which the general stock of the society naturally divides itself is the circulating capital, of which the characteristic is that it affords a revenue only by circulating or changing masters. It is composed, likewise, of four parts. First of the money, by means of which all the other three are circulated and distributed to their proper consumers. Secondly, of the stock of provisions which are in the possession of the butcher, the grazier, the farmer, the corn merchant, the brewer, etc., and from the sale of which they expect to derive a profit. Thirdly, of the materials, whether altogether rude or more or less manufactured, of clothes, furniture, and building which are not yet made up into any of those three shapes, but which remain in the hands of the growers, the manufacturers, the mercers and drapes, the timber merchants, the carpenters and joiners, the brickmakers, etc. Fourthly, and lastly, of the work which is made up and completed, but which is still in the hands of the merchant and manufacturer, and not yet disposed of or distributed to the proper consumers, such as the finished work which we frequently find ready-made in the shops of the smith, the cabinet-maker, the goldsmith, the jeweller, the china merchant, etc. The circulating capital consists, in this manner, of the provisions, materials, and finished work of all kinds that are in the hands of their respective dealers, and of the money that is necessary for circulating and distributing them to those who are finally to use or to consume them. Of these four parts, three, provisions, materials, and finished work, are either annually or in a longer or shorter period, regularly withdrawn from it and placed either in the fixed capital or in the stock reserved for immediate consumption. Every fixed capital is both originally derived from and requires to be continually supported by a circulating capital. All useful machines and instruments of trade are originally derived from a circulating capital which furnishes the materials of which they are made and the maintenance of the workmen who make them. They require, too, a capital of the same kind to keep them in constant repair. No fixed capital can yield any revenue but by means of a circulating capital. The most useful machines and instruments of trade will produce nothing without the circulating capital which affords the materials they are employed upon and the maintenance of the workmen who employ them. Land, however improved, will yield no revenue without a circulating capital which maintains the labors who cultivate and collect its produce. To maintain and augment the stock which may be reserved for immediate consumption is the sole end and purpose both of the fixed and circulating capitals. It is this stock which feeds, clothes and lodges the people. Their riches or poverty depend upon the abundant or sparing supplies which those two capitals can afford to the stock reserved for immediate consumption. So great a part of the circulating capital being continually withdrawn from it, in order to be placed in the other two branches of the general stock of the society, it must in its turn require continual supplies without which it would soon cease to exist. These supplies are principally drawn from three sources, the produce of land, of mines, and of fisheries. These afford continual supplies of provisions and materials, of which part is afterwards wrought up into finished work, and by which are replaced the provisions, materials, and finished work continually withdrawn from the circulating capital. From mines, too, is drawn what is necessary for maintaining and augmenting that part of it which consists in money. 
for though in the ordinary course of business this part is not like the other three necessarily withdrawn from it in order to be placed in the other two branches of the general stock of the society it must however like all other things be wasted and worn out at last and sometimes too be either lost or sent abroad and must therefore require continual though no doubt much smaller supplies lands mines and fisheries require all both a fixed and circulating capital to cultivate them and their produce replaces with a profit not only those capitals but all the others in the society thus the farmer annually replaces to the manufacturer the provisions which he had consumed and the materials which he had wrought up the year before and the manufacturer replaces to the farmer the finished work which he had wasted and worn out in the same time this is the real exchange that is annually made between those two orders of people though it seldom happens that the rude produce of the one and the manufactured produce of the other are directly bartered for one another because it seldom happens that the farmer sells his corn and his cattle his flax and his wool to the very same person of whom he chooses to purchase the clothes furniture and instruments of trade which he wants he sells therefore his rude produce for money with which he can purchase wherever it is to be had the manufactured produce he has occasion for land even replaces in part at least the capitals with which fisheries and mines are cultivated it is the produce of land which draws the fish from the waters and it is the produce of the surface of the earth which extracts the minerals from its bowels the produce of land mines and fisheries when their natural fertility is equal is in proportion to the extent and proper application of the capitals employed about them when the capitals are equal and equally well applied it is in proportion to their natural fertility in all countries where there is a tolerable security every man of common understanding will endeavour to employ whatever stock he can command in procuring either present enjoyment or future profit if it is employed in procuring present enjoyment it is a stock reserved for immediate consumption if it is employed in procuring future profit it must procure this profit either by staying with him or by going from him in the one case it is a fixed in the other it is a circulating capital a man must be perfectly crazy who where there is a tolerable security does not employ all the stock which he commands whether it be his own or borrowed of other people in some one or other of those three ways in those unfortunate countries indeed where men are continually afraid of the violence of their superiors they frequently bury or conceal a great part of their stock in order to have it always at hand to carry with them to some place of safety in case of their being threatened with any of those disasters to which they consider themselves at all times exposed this is said to be a common practice in turkey in indostan and i believe in most other governments of asia it seems to have been a common practice among our ancestors during the violence of the feudal government treasure trove was in these times considered as no contemptible part of the revenue of the greatest sovereigns in europe it consisted in such treasure as was found concealed in the earth and to which no particular person could prove any right this was regarded in those times as so important an object that it was always considered as belonging to the sovereign and neither to the finder nor to the proprietor of the land unless the right to it had been conveyed to the latter by an express clause in his charter it was put upon the same footing with gold and silver mines which without a special clause in the charter were never supposed to be comprehended in the general grant of the lands though mines of lead copper tin and coal were as things of smaller consequence End of Book 2, Chapter 1